0: Kevin Westcott of Deloitte joins us this week to discuss SVOD churn post-lockdown, AVOD's impact on SVOD usage, and what to expect from Internet TV in 2022. Listen on to find out more.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream podcast. This is Will Richmond from Video News and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top there. Hey Colin, how are you doing this week? I'm doing
0: great Will, thank you very
1: much and boy we've got lots of stories to talk about
0: today And uh, but we also have a really interesting interview in a little bit, don't we?
1: Yeah, well, uh, as you mentioned at the top, we're going to interview Kevin Westcott from Deloitte about new research that they've recently released. So um, we're excited to do that. And first, we have a few news items that we've been following this week. And uh, as we usually do on Inside the Stream, we're going to recap those quickly. We are. And I think probably the, the we should start with Disney.
0: Uh, we're recording here on Thursday. Thursday afternoon and Disney has just announced their results and I gotta say, well, it's got a lot of people pretty disappointed. Disney Plus only added 8.7 million subscribers and uh, that's, so that's, I think that's considerably below where it has been in Q1, Uh, sorry, that's Disney's Q1 which is calendar Q4, they added 21 million and before that, 16 and 24. So this is pretty uh, pretty tame growth, I think, for Disney Plus. Uh, and they also, they lost subscribers for Hulu Live, which lost 200,000 200, subscribers, and they lost about 100,000 last quarter too. So that's not doing too well either. And the other thing that really caught my eye was the drop in Disney's ARPU for Disney plus and this was this was actually really kind of kind of mm. shocking will because they lost ARPU has declined 29% for Disney plus over the last year and it's now sitting at about 399 and they pointed at the launch of Hotstar, um Disney plus on Hotstar in India as the reason for the big decline in the ARPU. But uh, boy, that's not not the spectacular results we've been used to, is it?
1: Yeah, and that that, um, Disney Plus Hotstar, that decline was just pretty small. I think it was just over $4 ARPU in their Q1. And now it was down to just less than $4. So um, that decline actually has been happening uh, since the Hotstar launch. Uh, but, you know, certainly versus a year ago, it was a pretty significant decline. But I think that's the new normal on Disney+. Plus. But, yeah, to your point, um, there were a number of quarters there of pretty big growth for Disney+, and things do seem to have cooled down now.
0: Yeah, they do. Um, Hulu Hulu Steel seems to be pretty doing pretty good, though. The SVOD grew 31% year over year to 37.8 million. So that still seems to be turning in pretty good results. But the live... Yeah, people yeah. people don't want the lives so much. It looks like.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of Disney Plus, another story that caught my eye this week was a report in the Wall Street Journal about Disney Plus, um, HBO Max, Amazon, and Netflix, and their aggressive international spending that they're doing on uh, uh, creating original content in um, far in international markets and. Uh, it was, I thought, an interesting take that they were getting perspective from a lot of local producers and uh, TV networks and studios, basically saying that you know, with the um, with the advent of the the big investments that these major SVOD companies are making in their markets, it's becoming very difficult for them to source talent, uh, crews, staff, equipment, etc. And uh, one quote that actually caught my eye was. Uh, One gentleman said, they are like vacuums, you can't get crews basically in all of Europe at the moment. And um, I I thought it was really indicative of how the global content market has changed significantly as a result of these major SVOD companies investing aggressively and the impact it's actually having on the ground now. So um, that is a trend that is no doubt going to continue for some time, putting the squeeze on, on local producers.
0: I think so, Will, and uh, you know the Europeans complaining about this. I think they're partially responsible for the problem because uh, Europe brought in a new rule which said that U.S., particularly U.S. SVOD providers, but foreign SVOD providers, had to have thirty percent local content in their catalogs. And at the time they brought this rule in, one of the things I said was that this might not be such a good idea because it makes those services more competitive with local services because they'll have a lot more local content and as we are seeing it's putting the squeeze on production resources in those countries so you know i think they're partially responsible for the for this problem happening to them
1: self-inflicted wound well one last story that uh, caught both of our eyes this weekend that you wrote about was Fubo fubo tv turned in actually a very strong first quarter and um, especially following what we were just talking about with Hulu Live losing a couple hundred thousand subscribers, um, Fubo's growth looked pretty impressive. It did
0: Will. They did They did extremely well and as you say in, in light of the loss at Hulu Live that, that's particularly interesting. They actually have seen subscribers grow a hundred and six percent over the last year. Uh, according to their data and uh, you know basically it was growth across the board for the company they saw then I I calculated out the number of uh, hours per day that people are using the service and uh, that increased to four hours just over four hours Uh, the average advertising revenue increased to seven dollars and eleven cents per month which is pretty good and so that was all full speed ahead and i gotta tell you they're betting big on betting and they plan on integrating betting into the experience and they uh, gave some very interesting statistics which basically show about a fifth of all of the subscribers to fubo tv are predisposed to place a bet inside of fubo so we could see revenue from betting really help out with that service, so all s- full speed ahead for Fubo.
1: Sounds that way. Uh, well, let's not um, let's not wait any further. We have uh, a great interview coming up here with Kevin Westcott from Deloitte. Yep, yep. I think we should get on with it. Will and we are very pleased to have Kevin Westcott join us this week as a guest on Inside the Stream. Kevin is vice chairman of Deloitte LLP and U.S. technology, media, and telecom leader. Hi, Hi Kevin. Welcome to Inside the Stream.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Great. And Deloitte recently released its U.S. Digital Media Trends Survey, the 15th edition. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And today we'd like to dig into some of the key findings of the new uh, trend survey with you. So let's just kick it off, Kevin, Um, just at the top. Uh, what can you tell us? What is this? What is the uh, survey tell us about America's streaming habits? And there's obviously been a lot of talk about what happened during the pandemic and what's happening as we emerge from the pandemic. But what were some of the key changes in streaming video consumption that you saw?
2: Yeah, the 2020 was definitely a very interesting year. And uh, as you mentioned, this is our 15th annual release. But last year we ran the survey three times, which we'd never done before, because we'd run it just before the pandemic hit. Then we ran it again in May and then October, because what we're truly trying to understand is what behaviors were triggered by the lockdowns, the extra time, uh, and which would become permanent. What we have seen is you know, the continuation of the trend of increasing um, SVOD subscriptions. So consumers continue to continue to uh, you know, use the, use the uh, SVOD platforms, but they've kind of stabilized around having four subscriptions per household. So if you have one, the average household has four. And with the, what's very interesting uh, that we found this year uh, and, and since the uh, latter half of last year is that consumers are actually doing a lot more switching than we think we knew before. 36% of the, of the population says that they have added and canceled subscription in the last few months which means that they're watching the shows they subscribed for, and then they're canceling, and then they're adding a different, a different platform to get access to other content. So this is a relatively new behavior that we saw uh, develop during the pandemic. And I expect to see it continue because uh, we, we like to call those consumers the hit and run. They watch their hit and then they run. So they're moving on and trying something else, always in search of original content and a good deal. Uh, the other major change we saw during during the pandemic and continuing now is that cost has started to play a bigger a bigger role in, in their decisions on platforms. You can't just keep adding uh, subscriptions at you know between five and seventeen dollars a piece. Uh, cost has played a much bigger role in their decision, and it's probably have to do with the economic realities of a lot of people being out of work or reduced uh, reduced income in the household. Uh,
1: since you raised the, as you put it, hit and run, which I have not heard before, uh, since you raised that, let, let's talk a little bit more about churn. And um, you know that seems like a pretty significant issue for SVOD providers, particularly when users can binge an entire series and then be able to move on. Does it? Do you think it sort of calls into question whether the binging, uh, you know, the ability, the what? S5 providers have done to date in dropping all a season's episode at once is strategic for them any longer or should they be curtailing that?
2: I actually expect to see uh, a variety or a hybrid set of types of approaches. There are certain uh, content that I think actually warrant dropping a a series at a time, but as I've also talked to some of the creatives out there, they really like the ability to drop on a periodic basis is to build momentum. I'm sure that you all remember the days of you know we'd watch a premiere on a on an appointment TV, so to speak, and we'd talk about it and would build that build that audience a lot through just discussions. And one of the uh, it's interesting. So one of the ways that people say they discover new content is actually through social media. So social media could be driving that conversation. So if you drop you drop it and people find out about it. So I do expect to see almost a new, uh, you know, I'll use the word windowing, but thinking about new ways that content will be introduced. Uh, and I've, you know, one of the one of the other areas uh, related to that, that I've been paying a lot of attention to is, you know, how does original content get released in, the, in these platforms? You know, whether it's a series or a movie, does it get released only to the top tier subscription, uh, you know, subscription subscribers? And then maybe it's 90 days or 180 days later, it's available to another tier, which will address maybe be partially ad supported. So you can actually see different modes of how content could get released, and whether or not you drop an entire series all at once, or you or, or you try to build the audience in time. I think it, a lot of it depends on the type of content you're talking about. And I think that you know the, those con, the, the, those drama um, uh, you know episodes that kind of have the cliffhanger. I think those actually lend themselves very well to doing so, doing something on a maybe a weekly basis not all at once
0: right um, so with the since we're talking about churn um, did it go up a lot during the pandemic so I noticed uh, in in the report just released in the 15th report it stayed you know sort of 36 38 percent in that range was it much lower before the pandemic
2: yes it's o- over doubled since our our survey before the pandemic wow so but recognize a few things happened, right? It wasn't just that we were in lockdown and people were looking for more content. Last year, we also saw the introduction of a whole, a whole bunch of new platforms. So with all the releases, people were also trying new things. But since October to our uh, most recent release, which we did the research in the first quarter of this year, it was pretty steady, which means people are continuing that behavior. And that's the part that it's a, should be a little bit uh, concerning to the platform owners is they need to think of ways to, you know, entice the subscribers to not just subscribe by having original content, but offering them a broad enough range of content. And it, maybe it's, you know, I, I believe it's well beyond just video. I think it should be games and books and uh, music and other forms of entertainment that are all through a single subscription that you get access to, which will make those, those platforms much more sticky and make those consumers churn less. Because I think if we continue to see the churn at the levels we're seeing right now and understanding what the cost of acquisition is for a new subscriber, this will be very, very hard for the platforms to move towards uh, you know, subscriber profitability. And right now they've been, they've been rewarded based on the number of subscribers they're able to, you know, to add. But I think as we, as we progress, we're going to be looking for the number of subscribers they can retain over years and have them become loyal subscribers.
0: So now we're heading out the door uh you know with with we're with, with getting our vaccines and things are returning a little bit
2: more to normal
0: do you think churn will come back down or go up further or stay where it is
2: um actually what i kind of expect to see is i would expect to see it reduce a bit from its it, it peak during the pandemic remember i think i mentioned it, was, it, it, it pretty much doubled during that time but also recognize you probably have these numbers somewhere as well the number of minutes being consumed went through the roof during the pandemic because people were locked down. So people were consuming more content and, you know, they, they were finishing series and looking for something new. Now the, you know, amongst the, the top reasons to pick a specific platform has to do with access to exclusive content. So people were in dire need of more content. Now, as we start to open up and our kids start playing, you know, Saturday sports and we're able to go out for dinner and things like that, the total number of minutes will probably decrease. So I think I'll actually expect to see churn reduce a bit, but also the competitive landscape has gotten much more competitive in the last 18 months. We've seen the launch of multiple platforms. We've also seen the launch of ad supported tiers and, you know, and, and other types of entertainment. So, you know, the, the, uh, the need for the platform owners to find a way to offer a broad set of services and keep the consumer's, you know, know, know the consumer's interest become more and more important.
1: So, Kevin, we want to get to ad supported services in a second, but I just wanted to have a, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question about the strategy that you were recommending for uh, SVOD providers to add other types of content, whether that be games or books or audio, and, and just ask you what you think would be involved for, you know, we've got eight, 10 major SVOD services now. What would be involved for those services to broaden beyond video, as you're suggesting, to go into some of these other media formats? And and is that gonna be feasible for them just from a pure financial perspective because the video investment is already so significant as we know?
2: Yeah, well, we've already seen a couple of them uh, venture into having things like um, music subscription platform, or music subscription services in addition to video. So, and, and we know that music tends to be a slightly more sticky uh, of a subscription than video. People, are, you know, people get uh, uh, you know, accustomed to having access to the library of music that they like. Um, we've seen a couple of the platforms even offering things like audio books or digital books or, ga- or gaming subscriptions. So you know, what's, what's involved obviously, if, if it's a pure play video subscription right now, and that's where they are, you know, thinking about how do I then go out and license the appropriate content and get it onto the platform. That's where the complexities are. Um, But as I said, I think that, you know, if if you could have uh, just a couple subscriptions in your house and have access to all the entertainment you want, I'm not sure if you've counted, but I went back and counted a while ago, I've eclipsed 20 paid subscriptions in my household. And that's everything from video to music to games, Uh, to, you know, audiobooks, other things along those lines that I subscribe to, podcasts, you know, some of the paid podcasts out there as well. So, you know, once you have over 20 of these, you know, that means you get 20 different bills every month, and I probably have 20 different username and, uh, and passwords I've got to remember or have recorded somewhere. The consumer really wants to make that easier. Right now, I almost think we have too much choice and in terms of the number of different platforms out there and consumers would like that to be curated a little bit better. So that's what we're hearing from them. And one of the number one uh, frustrations that consumers tell us is having to have multiple subscriptions to get the entertainment I want. And you can see where that would would play out if the average household has four video subscriptions and the millennials tell us that they have on, on average 17 total subscriptions in their household we know that people are probably you know, having a little bit of uh, subscription fatigue, so to speak.
0: Indeed. So should we, should we flip back and talk a little bit about AVOD and how do you see that impacting SVOD? Is it going to chip away at sort of AVOD's uh, SVOD's time? And uh, it maybe even erode some, of some of those subscriptions.
2: You know, it's, it's very interesting. So a little over a year ago before the pandemic struck, We came out with our findings and i actually had predicted that 2020 was going to be the year of avod not because of anything specifically of insight i had but i looked around the world and saw what models are are very successful outside the united states and in most other countries very specifically in asia pacific almost everybody there started in the avod space and the us we, we we were introduced to video on demand with a subscription and there was not a ton of content available, you know, a few years ago on the ad supported platforms, but as more and more content became available, and it was interesting when we surveyed our consumers and these numbers have not changed for two years, when we asked them, would you prefer to pay, and we used the number $12 and be, and be ad free, or would you, uh, would you prefer to pay half of that at $6 and have six minutes per ads per hour? or would you like to have a, full, a free service and have up to 12 minutes per hour? Only 40% of the population said that they'd like to pay the full $12 and have no ads. And that's skewed, that skewed very much towards the younger generation. That means 60% of the population we surveyed said they would like to exchange some amount of their time in, in, in watching ads for a reduction or free content. And they were about equally split between the the, the, two, the two options there. So consumers see ads as actually a a, a relevant and important part of what they get. Um, But just talking about ads for a minute, what they do tell us is their biggest frustration about ad-supported platforms are irrelevant or non-targeted ads and repetitiveness. Those are the three top complaints. So if I can deliver targeted and relevant and non-repetitive ads, consumers are very happy to accept them. And I think that the uh, we'll see more and more consumers trying it. It's also quite a bit easier to to quote sign up for an ad supported platform. I'm sure you've done one recently. You don't spend five minutes putting in your you know your uh, your home address and your credit card and your you know all that information to subscribe. In most many cases, you can try it with a few clicks of the button, and then all of a sudden you have access to the content.
1: So Kevin, for uh, to go back to to kind of tie this discussion of ad supported with. Our, pre- our previous discussion about churn, do you think that SVOD providers would be wise to introduce a lower uh, priced AVOD service? And we're gonna see HBO Max uh, do that in a month. Uh, certainly they're not the first. Hulu's been out there with that model for a while. Peacock has the model, Paramount Plus has the model, uh, but you know others such as uh, Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, are all now are, are all still purely uh, SVOD. Do, do you think it's a strategy for them to follow to, to try to introduce a lower cost uh, service as you're saying?
2: I absolutely do think it is. I think, I think there is a, a portion of the population that would, uh, would prefer to have an ad supported model. And it's interesting because when we ask consumers who have canceled an SVOD uh, subscription in the last 12 months when we ask them, what are the top, what are the top things that, that would have prevented you from canceling? The number one reason that, that, that they said would prevent them from canceling was to have access to a lower cost and ad supported tier. So they could still stay on the platform, but have access. The number two reason, by the way, was knowing that some exclusive content, content was coming. So if I knew that in 30 days, there'd be a new movie or a new series that's only available on that platform, I also would not have canceled my subscription. So I do think I do think it is a, a strategy. And as I talk to my clients that you, you know, so many of you uh, you just mentioned, there are some that are absolutely believe that they will stick with a subscription model and that's where they're going to be. They believe their content has the attraction and they have the depth, the depth of the library to keep consumers. But there are others who recognize that, you know, maybe I need to have multiple options to, to, to get all those customers. And I think what, we'll, what will be interesting to see is how much, you know, at what time frame and when do they have access to that high value content you know if you think about the windowing of the of the past where we had to wait you know upwards of over a year before we could see something that wasn't you know wasn't a a, a pay type of a service well now you know what's it going to look like how fast does content need to be put into put into those ad supported tiers but i do think it's a strategy that many are following and i think it's actually a very wise one for those for those platforms so do
0: AVOD viewers, Did they skew younger?
2: I'm saying actually what we find when we, ask, uh, when we ask that question about what would you prefer, you know, a full paid SVOD or an ABOD, the, uh, the younger generation actually prefers the SVOD. Now, recognize our youngest generation we look at are 14 to 24-year-olds. So the likelihood that they're actually paying for that subscription out of their own pocket pretty low. They're probably still on their parents' payroll. So they, they would prefer to have no ads, but it does not have a trade-off. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Avod is, attract- is attractive to the slightly older generations. Um, and I, I attribute it to the fact that most of us grew up with ads. Ads were part of our entertainment. And sometimes ads are, 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 are absolutely, absolutely a key part of the entertainment or they're informational. So if you've grown up with the custom that you do exchange some part of your hour for ads, uh, it's much more normal versus the youngest generation who've grown, grown up in a on demand on my tablet or on my phone, whatever I want it uh, environment. You know, my children who are, you know, they've grown up in that generation don't understand the idea of having to wait to watch something. It's always on demand on their tablets when they, when they want it. So I think that, that, that will be interesting to see as they age and all of a sudden the cost of the platform start playing an important part of it uh, Do their behaviors change.
0: That that's not what we heard last week from the the new fronts, where they were really pitching to, they could reach young people, right?
1: Right. I mean, yeah. So, Kevin, that was certainly one of the themes coming out of the new fronts last week, which I'm, I'm sure you followed as well. Was mm-hmm. the idea that uh, younger viewers in particular are simply unreachable via linear TV, and that using digital is really and streaming is really the only way to be able to reach them in mass. So. Um, it sounds like there may be a little bit of a disconnect between, uh, you know, services, streaming services, pursuing advertisers to reach that audience, but that audience may be being a little bit of ad resistors.
2: Well, one, one of the most interesting uh, pieces of data we found in our survey, when we looked at the generational difference of what was your first go-to entertainment platform, and we asked all the generations, and as long as we've been doing this until this year, it was always television, to movie, television shows and movies, and that would make sense, especially for you know for generations like mine that grew up watching television. So the person we went to this over the last year or two, what we've seen is a significant emergence of gaming for the youngest generation. So for the 14 to 24 year olds, their number one entertainment uh, platform is gaming. Watching TV or movies, sh- TV shows or movies, is number five on their priorities. So I agree that to reach that younger generation, you have to go digital, but you're not, I wouldn't say you're going digital in TV series or movies. It's going digital into games, music, uh, you know, all the platforms, the social media platforms that they're on. That's where they are, that, that youngest generation. And they, yes, they do watch TV and uh, television and movies, but it's nowhere near at the same level as the older generations.
0: So that, that actually brings me into a one, one thing that popped out to me as I looked through your research, and that was this, this really disjoint situation where Gen Z, they get a lot of their news from social media, um, but they also don't really trust it. So, <laughs> so is this an, an opportunity for local TV broadcasters who people do seem to trust? And if it is, how do they take advantage of
2: it? Yeah, it's interesting. So in our research, only 12% of that youngest generation gets their news from network or cable TV news, while over 50% say they get it from social media. And you're right, uh, the trust level of of content uh, on social media is very low. So I think there is an opportunity to reach that younger generation uh, and with local news information, but it has to be through the digital channels. And I would say it should be disseminated through social media, because that's where they are. That generation goes to social media, not, not just to connect with their friends, that's actually the third or fourth reason they go there. They go there to get all their entertainment. They go there to get their news, they go there to get listen to music, watch video, play games. They do all of that on the social media platforms. So I think that would be the opportunity, Colin, is to actually, you know if you want to drive an audience in, in, in local news. I think that there is one there, but you need to drive it through the social channels where that youngest generation is if that's who you're targeting.
1: Kevin, I have one last question. I just wanted to return, if you don't mind, going back to SVOD for just a second. The um, You know, there have been those who have said that uh, they don't want their SVOD services kind of cluttered with ads, that there's a certain sort of brand perception or um, positioning in the market that they've enjoyed and that they want to have uh, HBO certainly was ad free for many years. Now it's going to be it's going to come with ads. D- do you think there's something to that brand perception argument that uh, that they want certain services want to stay ad free?
2: Uh, for those who have kind of committed uh, publicly to being ad free, I think that they view that they bring uh, the highest quality exclusive content, and they can attract customers at the price point that they're asking. So there is a there is a bit of a view of that. Um, I and, and do I agree? I think that the, the, some of the players that have committed to being ad-free are the ones who have you know, some of the highest quality content and some of the biggest libraries, and they're also targeted very well. But if I think about trying to attract the masses, uh, I think that that you know going with an ad-supported tier as an option. I don't believe that you know you, you asked me earlier if I thought it would start to erode some of the players. I think that the the best strategy today is to have that as an option and have it as a tier. So do I want to pay $12 a month and not have any ads? Or am I willing to pay $6 a month and have six minutes of ads? And it's interesting because we use the number six minutes because that's the number consumers tell us is just right. They they think six minutes is just a fair amount of time to exchange for a discount. Uh, They don't, you know, once you get up around 15 minutes or so, they tell us they tune out. They just don't want to watch it anymore. So it's about using those six minutes wisely as well. Now, if I have that platform, that, that, that mythical platform I described earlier that has all my games, it has my books, maybe it has my shopping on there, it has my video that I watch, they know a lot more about me. So they should really be able to target those ads and make them effective. So also, the more, the more entertainment that I provide on a platform, the better information you can have about the individuals and hopefully target those ads more, more effectively, giving a better return to the advertiser, but also giving a better experience to the consumer.
0: Kevin, so in the last minute here, uh, let's put your uh, forecasting hat on. What are we going to be talking about in the 16th annual Deloitte report, report in 2022?
2: I expect to see, and I've been using the words reaggregation for a while. I don't like the word bundling because if, you, if, if it means the same to you as it did to me, which is here's what you must buy versus saying here's your options of what you're going to have. And I expect to see some of the largest players coming out and saying, here are all the, all the options. Here's our exclusive content, but you can also subscribe to maybe this niche streaming platform that they don't own, but they provide access to. So we start seeing this re-aggregation, allowing me to curate my own home uh, entertainment uh, you know, menu and then pay for just what I want. So I think, that's what, I think that's the direction we'll be going and that will be how we try to retain the consumers. Where will we be in 16, being a year from now, we'll still be talking about the recovery from the pandemic and what kind of behaviors stayed true. We may be talking about what happened, what's happening or happened to the theaters. And we may be talking about who's buying what libraries of content or who is amassing the best library to keep customers on there. So I think this, I think the transformation will take a few years, but I think the things that are right in front of us are, you know, the hybrid releases of theatrical, theatrical films, which all used to go directly to the theater and then end up in streaming. And now we're in this hybrid environment. So how does that, how does that continue and how does that evolve once, once we all are back into our more normal lives?
1: Okay, great. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for spending time with us today. We really appreciate your insights and we'll certainly keep an eye for the 16th report. Where can, where can our listeners download the 15th report, though, the current edition?
2: The uh, the report's available on Deloitte.com, where you can just search Deloitte Digital Media Trends 2021, and you'll get access to the full report, executive summary, and a handful of slides.
1: Perfect. Okay, thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream, and we'll see you all again next week.